This show is brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com. You are listening to The Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about the psycho-spiritual and psychosocial aspects of -of end-of-life care. You can find our podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes and any platform you listen to the show from. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Saul. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. I'm Saul Abama. And I'm Joe Newton. Uh, we have a special guest for you today. Her name is Suzanne Watley. She's the author of the book, An Energy Healer's Book of Dying. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so let us get straight to the point. Some people <laughs> might be listening here and they don't know what, <laughs> what, what energy healing is all about. Could you define it? <laughs> <laughs> I am known as what is called an energy practitioner for my job here on this planet as a human. Um, what that means is, is that I do anything and everything in terms of healing or moving or assisting with energy. So that can mean actual hands-on healing, doing heal or hands-off healing actually for me, um, and doing healing with the body, the mind, the spirit, the soul, etc. That can mean that I go into spaces and places, homes and buildings, land energy, and clearing and settling that. I work on animals. I work on anything and everything having to do with energy. So. When it comes to the end of life energy, that is no different in terms of just assisting someone moving through the process onto their next journey. So basically as a practitioner full-time, I do everything and anything that somebody needs help on in terms of energy. Can we go up a step back and just say, how did you come to this point? Uh, Sure. I um, have been extremely intuitive and psychic my whole life, knew very, very well at six and seven years old that I was connected to other realms. I come from a family of six children. And um, funny enough, we're learning a lot more about ourselves in a bigger way. Just um, even recently, we've been working as a collective family to really do more energy work amongst ourselves. And But yet within that structure, I'm really only one of the ones that's more Um, quantum in the way that I see things, know things, feel things, and move energy. That doesn't mean that there's a value difference, obviously, but a lot of my siblings and my family are much more earth-oriented. I go out to bigger spaces and places to connect with the energy. I'm more of a cosmic, galactic, quantum kind of a worker. And um, again, no value system. That doesn't mean I'm different or better or worse. I have known this my entire life. And when we get to that normal age of wanting to be like everybody else, I put a lot of it on the back burner and it came back very strong in my 30s, late 30s, early 40s. At this time, I was a corporate executive and a mother of four children and um, thought I was just doing the normal thing. But spirit or God or whatever package you want to put on that kind of stepped in quickly and said, oh, no, no, you need to remember what you do and who you are. And I jumped into studying and was actually very led by some wonderful people to look into what is healing, what is hands-on healing, you know how to do this. And boy, oh boy, when I stepped into remembering what I know, it just came fast and furious. And so completely changed my life. I left the corporate world in 2007 or eight, right in the middle of that, and have been in this full-time ever since. So at the age of six, what did you feel 
But, yes. <laughs> okay. At the age of six and seven, I distinctly, this is going to take a spin into <laughs> something else. I distinctly had um, very clear communications and telepathic communications with heads that were on my ceiling that were spirit in terms of they communicated with me. And I was uh, um, struggling as a child out of the blue. I had a so-called blood disease for a year and um, everyone thought it was dying. And these heads that I communicated with every night through my mind as a six-year-old told me that I was fine and that they were working with my body and everything was good and everything will be fine. So I distinctly could hear telepathically, see telepathically and know telepathically um, off planet beings and, and, and entities my entire life at that age. So, so what kind of heads are you seeing? Heads you're seeing? Just the actual, the actual way that it came through as a child was very much like the green skull on the wizard of Oz. When they go and meet the wizard, it was mm -hmm. greenish hue. And now I know that that was a healing energy frequency. And the one head was looking forward and the two heads on the side were a peripheral vision, one from right, one from left. The two side heads would only speak through that one head. And so again, at the age of six, this was very comfortable for me. And um, now knowing what I know all these years later, it was just it was just a lot of guidance coming in in a visual way, only speaking through one voice because at six, I, I needed clarity through one voice. And so, but remember, even back then it was all telepathic. I understood and knew everything telepathically. So was it normal to you or were you scared and you told your parents? That's a great question. Um, it was normal to me. I did not even question that everybody else didn't experience that. I thought that my sister who shared a bed, you know, when we were that age, we all shared the queen bed. Yes. Um, she, I assumed she saw and, and knew everything. And in actuality, she never did. So we talk about it a lot now. Um, I did not necessarily tell my parents, but I was very confused on why they were so scared and sad that I was going to die when these heads, who I trusted more, kept telling me I was fine. And indeed, a year later, my so-called blood disease disappeared overnight, and I was fine. I'm struggling with, you know, how you know. I mean, how was that? Because, you know, I, I, I feel things. I feel things. Let's put it that way. And I trust those Good. feelings very Good. much so. And that goes especially with I'm doing hospice work. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can walk into a, a family's home room, wherever it may be. And I can sense that, of course, you can sense anxiety. You can sense anger. You can feel all of that. And, and I do. And I also can feel when the person is dying. Yes. We're supposed to be designed like this, Joe. This is the birthright of being a human body. And humans on this planet are, and this is not ever judging anyone, humans on this planet are basically asleep to remembering who we truly are and what we are designed to be and why we are here. And there are certain humans that have activated their knowing or their true soul connection or alignment to their higher God source. And again, this doesn't make us better, but it makes us more responsible to do the work, what we came here to do. And if someone chooses to awaken, Great. If they don't choose to awaken, nothing is right or wrong about that. But it sounds like you have chosen, which I'm thrilled for you and all, to awaken because our bodies are designed to be humanly a container 
for God's source energy. We are Mm -hmm. the expression of God's source energy in every way, shape, or form. And yet we're all the same and we're all unique and we don't get taught this. This is what we should get in third grade instead of learning about the capitals of the states. I mean, you know, we we kind of missed the mark on educating humans from the beginning. And this is what's created such a horrible death culture and fear. And this is why we're dying in the ways that we're dying, because we don't remember that this is a wonderful, beautiful transmutation process and our bodies are supposed to feel. And so I think that it's beautiful and wonderful for you. Most what we would call with quotes around it, normal people, which is a silly, silly description because we're all normal, um, but they don't want to play in this field. They don't want to feel. They don't want to feel the pain. They don't want to feel the scare. They don't want to feel because they don't want to die. And when we finally awaken to the remembering that death is simply a transmutation back to another existence of God source, this will change. And this is why I respect people like you and beyond. And I'm so grateful for your service to get the message out. This is important. We need to remember what we know and use these bodies accordingly. Suzanne, it's obvious that you were comfortable with death from a young age, you know. Um, yes. That's, not, uh, that's, that's born out of a context. Could you, you know, describe that to our listeners? Sure. Um, I am, like I said, a sibling of six. My father is a mortician. He uh-huh. has always been a mortician in, in his career. He just turned 88 this summer and finally <laughs> retired. He was mm. still, you know, driving livery as long as he could after he couldn't be a mortician anymore. So, I mean, he loves, and by the way, is excellent at his job. He holds sure. a an expertise in the actual art of the craft, but he also holds compassion beyond belief. Mm. And he is is a very special, special human, as are all of my family. And um, he brought to our family this gift of understanding from a very logical 3D perspective that death is normal. Mm. So whatever you did when you sat around your dinner table with your parents at night to have conversation that they brought home from work, we sat around the table and talked about dead people. And Mm -hmm. then additionally, we had myself and one other of the six siblings were able to see at a very young age, obviously spirit and understand and hear the voices and know the things. And so it was a very comfortable knowing from the beginning. And again, I was very confused when I went to school in high school to see the reaction of people when the subject of death came up. In fact, it was almost like a joking thing in high school, like, ew, your dad's a mortician. And I was always like, that was like scary. I don't want to talk to you. Ugh. You know, these weird con- conversations would come out. And I was always very um, befuddled by that reaction. And I didn't know that everyone was scared of death until I got into the mainstream school system. Interesting. So, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it was surprising. Yeah, interesting concept of that. Because when my dad died 10 years ago, uh, we were all around watching his him die. I mean... yeah. Uh, two of his great-grandchildren were there. Two of my grandchildren were there. And, you know, I, 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 I'm I watching them and, I, of course, watching as my dad takes his last breath. Right. And, and, you know, it was a beautiful death in my mind. And, and so, it should be. <laughs> oh, it was. It was incredible. It was, right. it was really quite a wonderful, as you call it, transition. I, you know, he just, he looked over my shoulder and I know where he was going. And... I asked my, 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 my granddaughter and grandson what they thought of the experience. And 
their response was, it was a wonderful family experience. And I thought, I thought, okay, they got it. They got it. And, you know, you know, I was thinking, you know, here we are in a society and culture that, as you say, fears death. And they came away with, no, there's nothing to be afraid of here. And, and kudos to you as a father, grandfather, and son, and all of the above to, to bring back what is the reality of our existence here, to understand that family has every right to be there. And it, it actually mm-hmm. should, we don't use that word much, should be there, um, because these are important lessons for us to learn and hold space for one another and be supportive of that process. And know within our heart and our mind that just because that human body left its meat and bone and muscle and cellular structure, that he or her is not going anywhere other than to a different plane. And Mm -hmm. we still get to honor the fact that that relationship is there versus, oh my God, they're gone and I'm alone and I'm angry. Yeah. Yeah. So your book and Energy Healer's book of dying really brings a good conversation on the topic of death and dying in America and in the world and to demystify that experience. What was the motivation for you for writing this book? That's, thank you for asking. Um, That's a kind of interesting subject because I didn't start it out to write a book. (laughs) I was a hospice volunteer for death and I was asking telepathically in my own head questions and writing down answers for my own personal unique information. I was curious. I am always questioning. I'm always asking. And each of the cases was uniquely different. And I would have telepathic conversations as everyone just thought I was praying, which is fine because it's kind of the same thing anyway. Um, And I would sit with the body quietly and, you know, the nurses or whomever would just think, oh, she's just here to pray. And prayer to me is a whole different thing anyway. It's communication and moving information. And so, yes, I would ask and I would ask and I would ask. So, it began a process of understanding the death process in specific terms of energy and how this works. And I trained myself through my client experiences and I trained them through my client experiences and so forth. And as it started to become more and more um, actual, you know, physical on paper, it started to be brought to hospice meetings to share as notes, which then turned into PowerPoint presentations, which then turned into PDFs that they handed out which then accelerated and so and so on. And then I have a dear friend who is a literary agent and um, she said, let's do this. And I said, oh, there's an idea. So <laughs> it was very, it was very, very organic. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, um, it's amazing how the progress just moved yep. step by step up to a book. You are the third person that I've been in contact with and have gotten to know now who have your gifts. And the first one was a patient's daughter, and both of her parents were in our hospice, and the father died first, and then the mother. After the father died, she had conversations with her dad about what was going on making sure everything was all right. She did not have the same relationship with her mother. Okay, so this is all a little background information. The real question is, is it because you are female that you're able to be able to hear these things and understand these things? Because all these three individuals are female, and I've not heard of a guy, a male. The answer, the the true answer to that is no. 
the true answer to that is in our essence, we are neither female nor male. We okay. jump there, we jump into a body, which which um, to the 3D world looks female or male for the experience. But the essence of who we are as a being is androgynous. And so I do I, this work comes from the androgynous soul self. And so okay. there is no male or female. Mm-hmm. However, that said, in the world of metaphysics, there is probably still, sadly, 80% female, 20% male in terms of spiritual journeying, books, classes. I mean, I taught for years and years, and I would always have my token one or two males in a classroom of 60 or 80 women. So this is because of the fact, and this is, again, no judging, that the way that society has progressed over the eons, we have created a patriarchal structure in so many different ways that has almost held hostage the male personality, much less the male body, into a belief systems that are like, oh, no, no, that's not real, or that's not true, or that I don't have time for that, and all of those things. And so when we are breaking down this society of patriarchal boxes that really no longer can fit this frequency, we are going to find more and more males coming forward because truly, organically, you are one of them. You are one of them. You have a gigantic field that comes directly from your heart. You can align to the angelic realm super easily. You can bring this through very, very smoothly. And you, um, and even you, you have, and this isn't, again, saying anything is, you have to do this, so you should. You are also at the beginning of opening your gifts. And you are like a lotus flower that is about, you know, just about that third of the way there. And I encourage you, if you choose, to go for it, to practice it, to believe every single solitary connection that you know is in true alignment when you're doing this work and continue to do as much work as you possibly can, because this will help the collective field. I think I think we are discovering Joe's birth into energy <laughs> healing. With that, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service, providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI Helpline, please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at nami.org. I'm Soleil Berman. You're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. We continue our conversation with Suzanne, who is the author of An Energy Healer's Book of Dying. Uh, you talk about uh, nine energetic levels of dying. Would you um, maybe give a little summary of that to our listeners? Sure. The way that I wrote the book was more of a workbook, kind of a methodical way to explain the process. That does not mean that anybody needs to or will even die in that manner. But I wrote it in accordance to understanding the planes of existence and or the energetic vortexes within our body, which are called chakras. Um, This is written this way and, and shown this way because it helps people that maybe are not up to speed on the whole entire way our uh, holographic universe works, um, it's, it's an easy way to get through it. And it's also understanding what the human body holds in terms of energy and energy dis-ease and disease. The reason this is important is because this book is important for anyone living as much as anyone suffering with either dying themselves or losing someone, because we will be adjusting these levels within our body, these levels within our 
paradigm that we live in and at all times, day and night. And it is our personal responsibility to be aware of this stuff. So I teach it in that methodical way so that you can learn, gosh, I maybe am really feeling heaviness in my chest and I'm dealing with you know, um, circulatory issues and I'm having heart issues. Well, I better get my stuff together and find out why I'm holding fear in this before I actually leave this planet. And so it's written in those methodical ways so that you can do a check and a balance at the same time as if you are doing a, um, you know, you're sitting in the room or you're caregiving or you're holding space for or doing hospice with someone, you can learn it very methodically. So that's kind of why I presented it that way. So uh, just as an example, so if you're doing vigil for a dying hospice patient, um, how do you take the family? Is there a ritual you perform, uh, guide the family uh, to? If, if, um, there's nothing, first and foremost, there's no right way or wrong way to do anything. There is no way to do anything. Uh, death and, and the mechanics of the family and the energy of the family will always make it, it a unique situation. Just like Joe said, being with the father probably will be different than being with the mother, which will be different than being with the child, et cetera, because of the mechanics of who is involved, first yeah. and foremost. So yeah. no rules, no template. Um, ritual, in, to me, is something that we humans actually don't do enough of. So ritual, I gave some examples in the book of how we can do things. Again, they don't have to be done or not be done. These are really creative ways for us to find space to open our hearts and get involved. So ritual, no. But when I am with a family, like I was privy to sit vigil with a very dear friend of my parents, and he had a giant family of 10 kids, and he was dying in his living room. And so in that particular case, my telepathy comes into play because the patient or the person is out of body there in that non-responsive state at the end of vigil, at the end of hospice. And my ability as a psychic medium is to be able to go in and get information for anybody in that room, get information mm -hmm. of if their dad still has something to say. At the very same time, I'm telepathically working with the person who's in the room dying, saying, gee, your dad needs some support on this. Your dad needs some support on letting this go or making peace with that, or he wants to say this to this child, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm that Oftentimes, if it is a truly um, family-oriented death, I'm the communication between the realms. Mm. That's awesome. I, uh, you know, I think so many times that I'm with families, and uh, like this week, even with this uh, woman that uh, I was there, it was incredible. I would wish you would have been there. I'll be honest with you, because I would love to have known what this was going on in this woman's. Uh, I could sense what it was was going on. Uh, I got a call in on uh, Wednesday morning to uh, from the from the husband that there had been a different change and she had uh, vomited and it was really ugly and all that stuff and he so I went over there he called me before he called the nurse which was great I got there then the nurse showed up and uh, I looked at her I mean and she looked you know she was she, you know was definitely knowing that she was dying and then. I leave because I thought family just needed family time at that point to be with, you know, just to do what they needed to do. And, and, and I always sit around, I always look around, I'm like, what is it that's holding this, this person here? Yep. Why are you right. here? Because there's no reason for you to be here. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I can't hear anything, of course, because I, I don't have that gift, I guess. But I, you know, I look back at what took place and I know what she was waiting for. Uh, her sister, who was out of town, came back home from vacation, 
and got to the home 10 minutes before she dies. Right. Then they gave at, this was at noon, and at noon she was supposed to get her medication again. They gave her the medication. She spit it out and died. That's awesome. It was awesome, yes. I thought, yeah. yes, this is, she did it her way. And I wish, you know. Oh, we, all, we get to. And, and you know, this is one of the most powerful things people get to understand if they open their head and heart. We oh, yeah. get to die. And I say it all the time. We get to die. And by the way, we get to die the way that we choose to die. Absolutely. Just kind of get out of my way here, you know, and that mm-hmm. sounds crass possibly. But the reality no. is, is that's the truth. That's what I try to so, tell families all the time, that your loved one is going to die whether the way you want them to or not. And, and what, what we don't understand is when the family gets in the way, oh, yes. we can't not, that's a double negative, we can't not die, but we certainly have a different experience because there's more stress, there's more energy tentacles, there's more there you go. hanger on or stuff going on, we have more mm-hmm. confusion, and we have old beliefs that are generating and triggering. So what I do with families oftentimes is I tell them, get out of the way and give them permission to die. Whether that means get out of the way in the room or get out of the way in your heart, just get out of the way, you know? <laughs> you do do so. that then. I oh, mean, gosh, oh, yeah. Okay, because I, I, I try to explain to families that same experience, but, you know, with your background, I would find it, a, you know, people would hear that a little bit more differently than they would from me. Because I and I do it on behalf of, and remember, that's right. That's right. Thing I can pray that there is a cut in the cord from their heart chakras if it is for the highest and best. I don't get to do anything if it is not for the highest and best. And so that's a great tagline mm-hmm. to put on anything that you're praying for or doing for the highest and best for all. And so you know, I will encourage people to cut those heart cords. I will encourage people to. You know, I, it's it's really important to actually read this book. And I'm not saying it's because it's mine. We don't understand the processes of getting out of the way. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would love to see every single hospice situation, hospice organization, hospice workers, hospice places to have this in the room because there has had many times I have experienced people saying, oh my God, I was clutching onto your book and it made me understand what my mom or my dad was going through instead of fear-based, I was in awe. This is an important tool that is not out there that will flip the paradigm of the actual perspective of what's going on. Well, and I would love to see it a manual for training, you know, but it's it's been a little difficult to launch a book on death during a pandemic. So it's it's been a little, you know, interesting. Well, so. it's, you know, it, it the conversation I have with, with families all the time is that, you know, they're going to make their own decision on how they're going to die. So in yeah. other words, I'm trying to say the same thing you are by saying, get out of the way and let it just happen. Yeah. Uh, it's very yeah. difficult to say that to the family that want to be there and, you know, cater to everything well, that not, they Joe, see. It's not get out of the room and get out of the way. No, it's no, get no, your no. Beliefs, get your beliefs out of the way. Well, that's what get I'm trying to say to them opinion. is this is this is yeah. not your problem. This is not your situation. It's your loved one's situation. And they're going to do it no matter which way they you're going to. I don't want to come across as harsh or, or, un, right. or unfeeling of that sort, but I try to encourage them to remember that it's their loved one. I mean, you have so many people who are hoverers that just hang over their loved one saying, oh, I don't want, oh, they're getting hot. Let's get something cold. They're getting cold. Let's make them, you know, without really realizing all the energy and everything that's going on in them that they're trying to finally get get to the point where they can just say, okay, I'm ready. And even hot. 
even hot is a transmuting of their field. That's right. Even cold is a transmuting of their exactly. field. Exactly. I, we are I so don't. But everybody limited. is so. But everybody is so worried about that. And yeah. I'm like, you know, the it's, reason why we worry, the reason why we worry, Joe and and Saul, the reason why we get involved, the reason why we want to fix everything, the ultimate true, and no one wants to admit this, reason why we hang on so hard, is because I'm the one that's going to be sad when they're gone. Amen. I'm the one that's going to miss them. That's I'm right. the one. And so death is about honoring the other's choices from this highest perspective of what we call God source. It's honoring the fact that I love you so much that I will honor what you are choosing to do and get myself out of the picture. And yeah. so this is the hardest thing for people to understand because this comes across, like you said, crass or, or rough. And the reality is, is it's full compassion. It is 100% so much compassion that it's honored. And this is a really big message that hopefully I got across in the book because this is important to learn. So, yeah, honor. Um, honor is really in that kind of situation. It's hard because I can look also at the families. They want to honor the fact that they will miss their loved one who is dying. And then there's that tension. Yes, your suffering is better for you to die now. But I also know I'm going to miss you so much. I don't want you to die. So it's, it's, it's those tensions there. Um, yep. How do and you, they're uh, real. And it's okay. They are real. Yes. It, I had a mother and a daughter here yesterday who lost their, um, obviously, son and brother. Uh, only not even, a month, not even a month ago. Almost a month ago to the day. And um, very confused on how he died. Very confusing information on the autopsy. And um, didn't understand anything. And ironically the sister had had a falling out and the family was very split for quite some time before the death. So there was so much guilt, 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 you know? And just within the session that we had yesterday, we got so many answers from the dead brother and we got so many answers from higher source. And we got so many answers that those two walked away with the biggest smiles on their face that you have ever seen yesterday. And it doesn't mean that Suzanne's cool and magical and wonderful. It's not me. It's source energy. I'm just yeah. the conduit that has the gift and the honor to send that message through. And there was many, many, many reasons from a higher perspective why this family had had a falling out. And it actually was the beauty of the situation. And so nine out of 10 times we humans see something in a one way. And the reality of the bigger picture is the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. We live in a flipped reality. We live in an inverted system here, which is fear-based. And almost everything we're scared of, we can flip and find love. Mm including death like that. With that, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. I'm Saul and you're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. We continue our conversation with Suzanne. So what are the auric fields and the chakras? The chakras are basically, let's look at it like this. This is the way I teach it in the book and any of my classes. We are a vehicle of God's source. God is not a guy on a cloud with a book and a dress. You're and a kidding beard. me. It is a, <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> Um, it is a design intelligence that does not have a body because it is the I am presence. It 
is here to keep creating experiences and know its own creations. And we are a vehicle of that. We have chosen in this lifetime to be a vehicle is in what is known as a human representation, meaning a human form. This is our vehicle. Vehicles need gasoline. So gasoline is the life force. It's the God source. It's chi. It's prana. It's the gasoline that goes into the vehicle. The gasoline has entrance points, much like when you go to the gas station in your car, you unscrew that little cap and you stick that thing into the little hole and press the gasoline and it pours in. This is life force energy. This is our chi and prana from God. The source spots are chakras. Each of those chakras do a different kind of gasoline into the vehicle. They are bringing in different instruction sets and they are doing different jobs and they correlate to how we die or not die according to how much fuel we're bringing in. Almost even more importantly is the gas tank. So each of those chakras with an individualized fuel has what is known as a template to hold that frequency. And these templates are interpenetrating. They much look like a jawbreaker when you break it open, you know, all the colors. And these templates, if we don't have them, are just like in a car. If I have a great car, and great gas, but I have no tank, what happens? It spills out all over the ground and I got a mess and I don't go anywhere and my parts fall apart and my car dies. So this analogy is taught specifically in the book on how this is very important. The cool thing about the death process is all of these chakras align and activate during the uterine process when we're in utero. They are manipulated and worked with and, and either destroyed or generated or activated even higher in life. And as we go through life, we dis-ease and sometimes disease certain parts through these chakra fields and auric plates that will ultimately determine how the human body dies. When it dies, when I'm in a process of being a healer for that, my job is to assist in stopping and slowing down that gasoline process, closing down the actual chakra point, and then dissipating the field so that we basically transmute back to light where we came from in the first place. So it's a fascinating process and we all do it. And I, again, teach it very methodically in the book, but it doesn't always go in that order, but it's the best way to present it. So did somebody teach you this or how did all this come to you? I have a, a, um, a many, many ways that my information comes to me. Of course, I do a lot of reading and understanding, but more so I get taught as what we call downloads. I um, hear from my higher source. I'm hugely connected to my guides. Ironically, it's so fun we're talking today. Just within the last two days, I have brought through this massive amount of guidance that is just like unbelievable even to me. And it's my trajectory is just going into this new intergalactic realm of stuff that I've always known, but it's always been like the door's kind of still in the way. And now the door just went boom this morning. And so you guys are catching me on a day where I have always been in awe of being um, in existence, period, whether on this planet or off. But this morning, it makes me so excited to have more and more access to my interplanetary self because I'm very what we would call alien. I'm very cosmic. I'm very galactic. Um, I've never, in my opinion, and I've been told that I have not been in this earth plane before and will not be in this earth plane before in a human existence, that I'm here to do this job and to teach and to move forward and in the bigger picture of what's going on here. And But now to be reunited with a lot of my intergalactic feelings and family and soul family has been pretty fascinating. So there's so much more going on here than sitting on this earth that we are so 
ignorant to until we start to open our heart more and more and more and more and more. And the help, the benevolence, the assistance, the guidance is infinite. It never stops. So the more work you do, the more they come. Mm. So how do you... You saw we've been picking on Joe a little bit. I'm going to just jump over to you for a quick second. (laughs) Um, You, my dear, are so amazing in your differences. You hold such beauty in your voice. Your resonance is prayer. The way that you speak is prayer. You hold a frequency that is beyond anything I've got to experience. So thank you for even speaking. Well, I didn't know. Thank you, you. you. You are, and you should be on the radio or on the air as much as you can because you heal just by having your voice talk and you are an instrument. You are strings. You are you are beyond beautiful in the tone and the resonance. So please understand that you also are infinite in how you can open somebody's space and heart and feel and heal these energies just by being a voice. Many of us are teachers, but you're, you're not a teacher. You're the song. You are the song. And, and by being the song, you are healing. And you're, you're not, you know, Joe may be the one that's feeling and sensing it doing it differently with his body quietly. You, you need to speak. You need to actually speak. Hmm. Wow. Do you know, do I you know, know it, <laughs> do you by any chance happen to Google Saul? No, I, Google. I just no, got no. his email yesterday. <laughs> no, we just said <laughs> Google Saul. Google him? Okay. No, no. I have no. to look up your last name. I Ibema. E-B-E-M-A. <laughs> I am Wait. sorry, but this is part of why he has this this voice and why you're talking prayer. This That's, man is incredible. <laughs> Suzanne, um, I'm reading here. I'm reading here on your website on, um, uh, yeah, on, on the chakras. It's the first time I'm hearing this. Um, so are your, are your kids also part of this? Or are you the, maybe my question is uh, like, like we are Christians and they're pastors you feel like, you know, you're a priestess in this. This is your calling. Uh, yeah. Is there uh, uh, other, you know, people like you that, you know, you meet and, you know, encourage each other or something? I don't know if that makes sense. Or do you work alone? Uh, let me start. <laughs> no, I don't work alone at all. <laughs> no, no, no. What happens in this work, and it will happen to you, and it is happening to both of you, by the way. What happens in this work is when you start to align to your true self they come to you because you are that shining light we talked about and your resonance or your voice or your whatever. The frequency will draw in whoever is truly in alignment with your work. My biological family, like I said, just did a very large channeling with this amazing being that brings in the angel realm and talks to you about how many lives you had and if you've been together in other lives and why you are the way that you are. And it was fascinating and wonderful. My parents are 87 and 88 and sometimes wonder how they got this galactic crazy one thrown in the mix. And it has been very fun for them to see why from a higher perspective, we are who we are in family and in form. I am in the process of working diligently with my own four children to assist them. They all believe in this work. They all do some semblance of work with me. They allow me to work on them and with them. Some of them participate in some of the events. Um, One of them does all of my music for meditation, et cetera. So they are all extremely supportive, but they too are just being introduced very quickly and rapidly to who they are and why they're on this planet. 
Um, additionally, all of my so-called soul sisters have been coming forward and being more solidified and working as a unified force. And we get together a lot of weight. We talk consistently, um, either online, house party, Google, whatever, uh, on a daily basis almost to support one another because we will activate each other to a higher realm. And then when we unify as a force, it's pretty amazing. And we just came home from Sedona doing a whole weekend of just that. So I will go and I will purposefully go and work with these beings that are on planet um, to work on and off planet to activate ourselves to higher realms. So I work at it every single day, all day, every day. And again, to me, this doesn't work. None of this is work. My work work, like I did yesterday, like working with clients is also a gift. So, I mean, to me, it's just pretty, it's pretty amazing to be here. Right? Yeah, it is. You are also the host of a podcast, Energy Unleashed. Yes. Um, what is it about? Thank you for even mentioning it. We just launched it. We've been, um, I've been doing energy updates for my own um, online group. I have an online group called Vibe Tribe, and it's an online um, situation where I have a membership, and, we, and I teach every single month through six um, modes that come to them. It's training videos and, and information and meditations. An extension from Vibe Tribe, is on my website also to be able to understand energy client scenarios that I go through as a practitioner. And I share with their approval on an anonymous way what happens in that energy session because we can all learn from one another. We are all the same in so many ways, it's ridiculous. And so when we hear someone else's journey, we can learn from that. So what we did then is evolved into Energy Unleashed. It keeps, it keeps growing and now Energy Unleashed is the client session, the information, but then we unleash it or break it down or dive deeper into it with my co-host, Kim. And she brings in the perspective of what the heck are you talking about? Normal people don't get this. <laughs> so, so it's been, it's been a really lot of fun because it really opens up the dialogue and the conversation. And we just launched the actual ones this week for the public and they're on YouTube. I have a bunch, by the way, of YouTube videos for free through my channel or on YouTube under my name on death and dying itself. So we're doing everything right now to expand the message on all of this. Energy is just energy and death is part of that. And life is part of death and all. So it all goes together. So thank you for um, offering that out there. I encourage people to check into it because they are quite fascinating stories and we can always learn something from another's journey. So I thank you again for a platform. I thank you for getting your message out. I thank you guys for your service in terms of Gosh, hospice needs to be talked about. So good for you. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you Thank very, you very much. much. Thank you. That was Suzanne Watley. She's the author of An Energy Healer's Book of Dying. You can also find her at uh, swatley.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting Studio in Joliet, Illinois. Audio Hive Podcasting is a studio dedicated to podcast recording, editing, and production. For more information, you can find us at audiohivepodcasting.com.